I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long-term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. And that was the the restaurant. Um, kind of the birthplace of it then, huh? Not necessarily. I know one of the biggest things in construction of the restaurant really has to do with the city and the permits. And, and then the last one is the fast casual. And I feel like that's the dominant player in the market oh, right yeah, now. For sure. This is like the biggest thing since sliced bread right now. <laughs> The building industry has long been reluctant to change. When things are going well, developers and builders have had no incentive to rock the boat. But now... Post-recession, a shift in society and culture has ushered in a tidal wave of change in the industry, and there's no going back. Welcome to Spaces, where we explore and analyze how the building industry is evolving from design and construction to management and economics. Join hosts Jason, Ali, and Demetrius as they discuss the evolution of your spaces. Hello, welcome to Spaces. My name is Demetrius. No Ali today, but this is Jason. Hey guys, how we doing? And this is Spaces. Welcome back to the show. Uh, if you are a new listener, thanks for joining us. Jason, how have your how's your week been? Yeah, I mean, I think like uh, I think like most people in our industry would probably say right now, or pretty much any industry these days, the economy is pretty good. Um, we're we're moving at a pretty fast and furious pace. Um, I don't know anybody that I'm talking to that isn't saying something of a similar accord. Um, but for the most part, you know, it's our our teams are keeping up. The industry is doing quite well. 
Um, so we're having some fun and family time and things like that. Or, you know, when we're not at the office, full bore into, um, you know, spending and hanging time with the family, which is great. So, um, but very, very, very busy right now. Yeah. I saw you, uh, posted a picture. You were out doing your, your normal walk at Balboa. Freaking pissed, man. <laughs> yeah. I was I bummed. I mean, I know everybody's, we've, We've talked about it before. I definitely have an inner fat kid, which, you know, I think everybody should treat once in a while. And um, the one place we like to go to before we go to church on Sundays, walk around Balboa and uh, the cinnamon roll place, Blue Chair Bakery was closed, man. I was so ticked. I mean, I felt bad the last time I did it. And I told the gal, I'm like, look, no more vacations. Well, she freaking skipped a week again. <laughs> so, yeah, I was, uh, I had to settle for a uh, an apple fritter, which was not the same. Oh, man. Yeah, I was, I was freaking pissed. Uh, yeah, when I saw you post that, I was like, oh, he's going to be out. Oh, man, I was so ticked. Yeah, <laughs> so ticked. Yeah, but when you talk about the, you know, how busy everybody is, yeah. me as my, uh, you know, starting out yeah. company, it's, I'm feeling it too. That's you know, awesome. Because I'm, I'm assisting some people right now, and they're just scrambling, still looking for help, because it's just, everybody's that slammed. Good for you. But I do have some good news. I, I've gotten i think two projects um kind of of my own in the pipeline i'm still kind of trying to finalize but got a couple things kind of on the hopper so good for you man congrats yeah so because of that i had to get uh and because i'm you know helping other people got uh, my bank accounts set up which is a kind of a crazy process yeah and um have you set up a bank account for Mm -hmm. your company yeah Yeah. Uh so I, I it's invasive. Tr- yeah, yeah. I, I tried to do um, you know the credit union first. Yep. And they have you know so many hoops, or yep. you have to jump through yep. and paperwork and yep. you know forty eight hour back or not background check, but you know check. Oh yeah. And I need it kind of quick, so I ended up going with uh, you know a big bank, and because of their infrastructure already set, they were able to get me out of there in you know an Pretty hour. Quick. Yeah, with, yeah, with the account. So. It was good, but um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's kind Le- of fun. Learn a lot going through it, though, don't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the company's growing uh, slowly but surely, and then um, forwards forward, man, doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the last thing um, that I kind of ran through, ran into over the last few weeks is I found out it is extremely difficult to give money away. In in what regard are we? I mean, I, it. Well, you can give me money whenever you want. I'll accept it. <laughs> But what what exactly are we referring to? So for our photo contest, uh, you oh know, yeah, you know we've been running the that little promo yeah. before every episode. I'm surprised that not more people kind of jumped in to to participate. We got a couple people, but uh, I'm shocked that people didn't want to get free money. I think it's the scenario of like the hot girl in the room. Nobody yeah. goes and actually asks her out, yeah. right? Because everybody assumes everybody else is doing it. Yeah, uh, went ahead and picked someone. His name is Rodney Robles of Factor Recurso, um, and they're based in uh, Monterey, Mexico. Sweet. International. Yeah. I think he has a team there, and I checked out his uh, Instagram. It's pretty cool work that they do, kind of an interior architectural firm. Sweet. Um, doing like restaurants and that kind of interior work. Cool, cool company, cool guy. Talked to him a little bit. He opted to not take the money. And he's going to donate it, um, so he'll follow up with us. And... Check it out, man. There still are good people in the world, <laughs> yeah. huh? So uh, they're going to donate it and, and let us know who they want to go to. So um, so we'll uh, 
go ahead and jump into the episode today talking about restaurants and as a historical background restaurants have basically been around uh, since as far back as kind of early civilization and they've been sort of a staple that correlate with uh, growing cities farmers um, they would basically you know cart their goods from their farm or, or wherever they were into the city and those are usually like several day trips so once they got to the city, they had to, you know, unload and they would be there for a couple of days uh, selling things off and, and they needed these places to eat. And that was the, the, the restaurant. Kind um, of the birthplace of it then, huh? Not necessarily. Not what we would consider the restaurant today, but it was more of a, like we talked about before, those taverns or inns. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so it was more like you just, uh, they're eating houses. Uh, so you just kind of go in and there's a open table and everybody just sits there it's not kind of your own individual table got it but what happened was around the french revolution uh, 1765 is when uh, what we know as the restaurant kind of started to come to form and i'm going to attempt to do this in my butchered version of french a man named monsieur boulanger monsieur boulanger yeah there you go he had a eatery, and there was a sign there that said, uh, "Oh my God, this is going to be so hard." Boulanger depict des restaurants de vins, which translates to "Boulanger sells restoratives fit for the gods," and that's what uh, "restaurant" is uh, a derivative of is okay. the word uh, "restaurateur." which means to restore or refresh. Hmm. At the time, there were these guilds that they called that basically had, they were dedicated to a particular thing. So there was like a meat guild. Okay. Uh, nobody else could make meat except people that were Got in it. this guild. Got it. Uh, nobody could do certain soups or So whatever. it's like the unions. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So this guy had the nerve to put lamb inside of his soup which was a no-no because he stepped on two people's toes and they actually sued him because of it. And he had to go through this huge lawsuit and he actually won. And over the next uh, 20 years, the guilds kind of started to fade away. And on the back of the fall of Marie Antoinette and Louis the 16th, okay. um, and kind of the fall of that, um, that monarchy, people that were, you know, butlers and, chefs at these different royal families and, and those type of settings uh, ended up out of work. So when they came out, a lot of them started up their own restaurants. Oh, that makes sense. And they had that that kind of high-end yeah. quality to yeah. their, their service, uh, which ended up becoming kind of a fine dining setting. Got it. So you end up with a nice white tablecloth and, and high-quality service. And But the funny thing about this whole story is that it could or could not be true. It's in what they consider like a food Bible in France. Okay. But there was a recent, uh, what do you call it? Uh, a recent reporter that went on a journey to try and figure out, you know. Like uncover the facts yeah, type of deal. Uncover the facts okay. of, of who was actually considered the first person to, to start a restaurant. And she could not find anything about uh, Monsieur Boulanger. Interesting. But she couldn't necessarily prove that it, it didn't exist that, either. Yeah. Huh. She couldn't even find, you know, the lawsuit, records of the lawsuit. So wow. it's, it's interesting. 
but um, spent a lot of time fabricating it if it's not real. Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of detail for a false story, so I'm gonna assume that it was true. So after the French Revolu- Revolution, and uh, you know, kind of as globalization started to erupt, travel increased. We kind of touched on it in our hotel episode as people started to branch out. They brought all of these different concepts and ideas like this fine dining all over the place and that's kind of how the restaurant that makes sense i mean especially if they pop into an area that doesn't have anything like it you're able to draw a whole lot more yeah right yeah exactly so when we talk about restaurants there are several types that we'll look at and there's the fine dining family style a buffet the cafe or bistro the fast food food truck which isn't really a restaurant, but yeah, we'll I don't just, know if that's a restaurant. <laughs> we'll just consider it. Uh, you know, it's definitely relevant for the time, though. Yeah, yeah. We'll consider it a eating establishment, and then the fast casual. But we'll jump into you know more specifics about that a little bit later. So I wanted to kind of talk about the design, and when you're designing a restaurant, some things to be you know wary of or kind of look for. So when you're designing a restaurant there are two things that you absolutely need to consider one is the the concept and story of the restaurant mm-hmm. a lot of chefs or restaurant uh restaurateurs i think is yeah, the word yeah restaurateurs want to you know convey a certain story or, or kind of concept to their their eating and their their space so you know getting that down and then the second part is the operation of the restaurant and when I talk about operation, you want to know, you know, where the guests going to arrive, the route of the food from the kitchen to the table, how many people, um, how many waiters you're going to have uh, on staff. Uh, so that kind of thing. You have to know all those little details to basically kind of figure out your space planning. Um, but then there's subtle things, um, nuanced elements that you want to also consider based on the type of restaurant sure. um, that you have. But on the construction side, there's a ton of elements to consider. I think, in my opinion, I think the two, or I guess three big elements, one is plumbing, I would say, mechanical, mm-hmm. and then your equipment uh, right. equipment and finishes. Right. From your perspective, what do you think is sort well, of... Well, I know one of the biggest things in construction of the restaurant really has to do with the city and the permits and, and passing all of the... Um, um, requirements that they have you yeah. know what I mean when you're talking about cleanliness and you're talking about you know serviceability you know fire I mean all those types of things that go into it, it gets really heavy because then you're starting to you know mess with your occupancies and everything else so specs on appliances that you're using the BTUs that everything goes through exhausting I mean there's a lot of stuff that goes into it that can really foul you up and does yeah. I mean if somebody doesn't read the specs properly and ducks it incorrectly you've got an issue yeah um, obviously all the cleanouts that they have from a plumbing perspective and everything else is like a big big deal and the you know in floor drains and everything else that they have to deal with yeah um, being able to wash the floors and everything like that and where that's going to drain to is the other thing because you got floor drains every so you know and usually when you come into a uh when you're doing a restaurant you're coming into a, a built out space or yeah. a, a a shell basically right. correct so you end up cutting up that Oh, your saw cutting everything. So yeah. to get the proper drops and, you know, falls for plumbing so there's no backups and everything else like that is, you know, it's any it's, it's like a remodel, yeah. right? So you're, you're basically trying, and that happens all the time because we know the one thing with the restaurant industry, it's like the number one business of failures. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like very few small percentage actually succeed. Yeah. Um, so they're constantly trying to outfit these things and re-outfit them. So 
it's uh there, there's a lot to contend with i mean the other thing too being the design right when you get into the design and the finishes you usually have a lot of unique elements that aren't off the shelf you know what i mean so a lot of stuff is being custom made and built and has multiple different trades that are associated with it whether it's finished carpentry with bars you know metal i mean all these different kind of things that go into it yeah it's not it's not something that's easily just thrown together yeah on the phasing front of that i would imagine the dealing with all those different types of custom finishes um, in conjunction with your your equipment, that's kind of a nightmare. Like major lead time issues. I mean, once one thing's thrown off, you can't get something, you know, passed or cleared in order to start the next phase. And um, like I I have a a neighbor of mine who's, you know, like a a strong acquaintance friend, if you will, Mm -hmm. that's going through building a restaurant right now. And he's hit delay after delay after delay because this appliance hasn't shown up when it's supposed to, you know what I mean? One of them was a stove. The other one was the exhaust fan. And then, you know, custom bars having been made is like still not done. You know, there's a lot of things that they run into. And the hard part with that is, you know, these guys are leasing or renting space. And the whole time you're in the build out, you're generally paying for that space and you've got nothing to offset that debt, you know? So you really need to get there and get up and moving and and working quickly to start generating revenue. Yeah. So he's, he's in the hole because he's a bit behind. Yeah. Um, and, and that doesn't even take into account like some of these breweries and stuff and the rest of the things that they have to do. Yeah. You know, where you've got the restaurant brewery, you know, scenario, it's, it's a entirely different ball game at that point. So yeah, yeah, it's, it, you can face a lot of delays. Yeah. We were just talking kind of off mic about, uh, projects that you've worked on kind of currently where the phasing gets thrown off yeah i mean even just a normal you know residential construction you know we're showing up to do you know you're scheduled to do something and the trades before you haven't done what they're supposed to do and you can't work and now everything just is a domino effect yeah so and that's a problem i think that's that's really prevalent in our industry right now if you're setting schedules with somebody it's not one of those things where you can just tell them, okay, well then come back tomorrow. Like they may be like, sorry, bub, like I've got an opening in two weeks. And then that opening in two weeks from there for them to complete their work messes up all the other guys behind them. And now you start getting into those big delays that you're having. So hopefully you don't run into that too hard, but it's, it's something that is definitely kind of systematic right now, which is really frustrating for a lot of people. Yeah. From a coordination front between, you know, build and design, have you seen anything that has made phasing kind of a little bit cleaner? Well, I think as long as it's not a complicated build, yeah. I mean, that's the easiest thing to point to. Yeah. Um, but the problem is on paper, it all looks good until somebody has to perform it. Yeah. And right now in any industry, you know, that has to deal with construction, whether it be commercial, which is essentially what restaurants fall under yeah. um, or residential, it's a field struggle. Everybody's got their schedule set. That should be a 120 day schedule, but it doesn't take into account the delays that they're receiving because people just don't show. Um, they forgot to order something, you know, there's questions, RFIs, you know, which is the big thing that goes into commercials all about RFIs. Right. Yeah. Um, and those types of things. So simplicity is key. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's why one of the biggest home builders now, everything is simplicity, simplicity, but that makes it easier to where you're not having to stop and think a lot you're able to just go right through and it's pretty basic yeah but then again a lot of the restaurants like we're talking about i know a couple off the top of my head where we go to because they're super cool i mean the experience is wonderful the food is fantastic price isn't great (laughs) um but you know 
you can't have all those elements without paying for it, you know? So, but that was probably not a very simplistic build, you know what I mean? And that's where some of those things take time. And I don't think people necessarily properly account for that. Yeah. Yeah. I think kind of with the talking about simplicity, um, when you're getting into those hospitality type arenas, uh, simplicity has gone out the window because it's about, Simplicity you know, doesn't sell. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah it, it, it doesn't sell. It's about that experience and, you know, providing a, an environment that people want to come and visit and experience in different ways and, um, you know, see it from a different angle every time they show up. So, um, yeah, simplicity is not. Yeah, Red Robin's not Mastro's. You know what I mean? It's just not. <laughs> uh, so with that said, we'll jump into the uh, a little more detail of psychology of design which i found really interesting kind of digging into this a little bit more so in a fast food establishment i'm sure everyone has noticed this but when you go to a fast food place all of the seating is terrible Mm -hmm. they want you in and out it is highly uncomfortable they don't want you hanging out i haven't really noticed this but um, one of the articles that i read they talked about uh, in fast food places they generally will have um, kind of upbeat music because uh, they want you to get in and out. Yep. And then in the fine dining, obviously the opposite of that, it's much more luxurious materials, comfortable chairs, because they want you to kind of hang out and enjoy the environment and, and uh, spend more money, basically eat more, um, drink and, more. Yeah. I don't think it's eat more. I think it's drink more. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And then on the lighting side, uh, lighting is huge. They say you want to have kind of more soft and flattering light. Because it makes the patron more comfortable because they feel like they look good, um, have the good lighting, taking pictures and whatnot. So they're more comfortable with hanging out, ordering more food and more drinks. Um, as opposed to, and I've seen this like at a Red Robin or something, it's just the down lighting right over the yeah, table. Yeah. And it creates all these yeah. weird shadows yep. and it's not all that flattering uh, if you're on Instagram or something. Uh, and when you talk about kind of those aesthetic elements, color is huge. Surprisingly, two colors that you should not use in a restaurant, red and blue. That's funny because the one I just mentioned, Master, is like there's a lot of red in there. Is there? Yeah. At least the one I went to in Costa Mesa. Okay. I mean, I haven't been there for a few months. Yeah. But that's what I remember was it being pretty like there. I mean, well, at least the entrance wall. Yeah. Was like red. To push you in or out. Hmm. Maybe. So uh, so red, almost considered by all experts to increase your heart rate, your blood pressure, and stimulate impulse eating. So when I thought red, I immediately thought of McDonald's. Yeah, that's a good point. All the seats and everything else. Yeah. yeah. So red uh, apparently works well for fast food restaurants because their goal is volume. So you get really hyped and you have impulse eating. So you gorge yourself and then you get out of there really quick. To make room for the next person. <laughs> and then blue is is a no-no because it, it doesn't invoke hunger, apparently. Huh. It's, uh, it's actually mo- considered more of a uh, thirst driver. So you want to use blue in like bars and stuff like that. Oh, uh, that's kind of what I'm thinking of, actually. Yeah. And it's kind of more of a darker setting anyway, kind of in a club, club or bar setting. Yeah. But the colors you do want to use are greens and browns, which are soft, natu- soft natural colors uh, and invokes kind of a relaxed, natural kind of environment. 
uh, oranges and yellows give you kind of a, a sense of physical attachment and cheerfulness. Uh, on that fine dining front, uh, we talked about it a little bit. It's more of a, it offers the patrons fi- the finest in food, service, and, and atmosphere, but you also pay for it. Yes, you do. <laughs> Wonder. When you're talking, it's all I can always tell when it's at that restaurant where they've got like the butter knife that removes the crumbs. <laughs> butter knife. Well, I don't know. They have. I mean, it's a, you know the waiter comes by or whomever it is, and and they have the little knife and they kind of pull the crumbs off the table with the knife. You've never oh, seen it. Yeah, you know yeah, what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> or the the indicator to me is when they have both a white and black napkin. So depending on what you're wearing, they'll put either a white napkin on there or a black napkin. So if you're wearing dark, yeah, they'll put the black so you don't get the white lint. I have never noticed. Yeah, subtle that. little things that you notice, that's, and then uh, that's fine, fine dining. No, you know, I think I, I've seen it. I, I have seen it at fine dining, but I've seen it, you know, in things that would be a little bit more mid road. You know, maybe that are just trying to be classy, and their food's not as good. But, <laughs> but yeah, those are always indicators for it. Like I always laugh. Yeah. Right? I'm like, dude, I, I'm not that messy. Like you don't need to remove my crumbs or give yeah. me, you know, two different napkins. But. The crumb one always trips me out because it's yeah. so weird to see them. Like not only that, like have you tried to do that yourself? Like I'm horrible at it. <laughs> Like they make it look so easy, and I just like like I don't know how I mess it up so bad. And they do this like really fluid kind of flick. Oh yeah, it's like the it's like the princess wave, except like on the tablecloth, right? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So one of the one of the projects I wanted to point out for the as an example, I mean we all think have like a certain restaurant in our minds, um, but one I wanted to point out actually is an award winning project through the um, American Institute of Architects. It's called ATX Cocina in uh, Austin, Texas. And this is designed by Michael Sue, Office of Architecture. And it's a pretty cool project where uh, if you check out our website, we'll have photos up. Uh, it has this nice sweeping curved ceiling, uh, which is kind of like barrel-like. Yeah, that's sort of a half barrel, um, but it's all wood siding treatment. There's tons of materials it's it's kind of an open open design has like one room cut off um as a private space but open open plan uh you can see clearly through into the bar and kind of some of the prep area Uh, but there's tons of materials if you saw all of these materials just laid out on a table you would not think it works that well it wouldn't mesh well but it actually works out pretty nice. It has like a... It's very natural feel. Yeah. So it's all kind of that birch wood type look. Lots of browns, like Demetrius was saying. Yeah. Um, some oranges. Yeah. Pretty much zero red. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they pretty much nailed this one down to a T of what what uh, what we're talking about of good things to do in in your uh, restaurant. And, and I think the thing about the restaurants too, you know, some of the some of the biggest elements that I notice that the ones we go to, there's a couple of restaurants I'll throw them out. Um, that my wife and I like to enjoy is Seasons 52. I don't know if you've ever been there. I don't want to call it an appetizer restaurant, but it's not like when you're like starving, you don't go there because the, the portions aren't big. Mm, but so it's like the tapas style. May, yeah, maybe. But it's like, it's, you know, it's, it's decent portions, but it's super fresh. And what I like about the restaurant, though, there's almost like multiple elements to it. You got the bar area where they got the piano, you know, kind of in the middle of the bar and you can kind of hang out. There's seating around the bar out there as well. Um, to actually do regular dining, but then they also have like separate, it's a huge restaurant that's actually in a uh, South coast. Yeah. Um, but they've got like separate areas where it's like totally detached dining where you can not be part of the bar, if you will. Um, mm. and have decent conversation. It's pretty loud as it is, but, 
um, but it's almost like you have multiple elements to it. Yeah. The other one that we like is, um, I think it's called Fig and Olive. That might be Fashion Island. But, you know, super, super fresh food. Very, very similar to this one that you're showing here. Yeah. Really light, very comfortable, like, yeah. environment. They definitely want you to stay and, and have wine and do, you know, do the, we don't drink wine, so whatever. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but it has, again, a really nice, like, upbeat bar area, a nice lounge area that they'll serve drinks to as well, and then your regular dining area. So it's almost like you need multi-like components to be able to bring in a few different walks, but it all meshes really, really well together. Oh, okay. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Some of the jury comments for this this uh, the award selection, they said this project presented design harmony in all aspects and throughout, from the material palette to the color palette, and just the way the space were arranged, even the selection of furniture. This is one of the projects that really attempted to customize every aspect of the space. The ceiling detailing, it's a pretty spectacular portion of the project, and not only the curved ceiling, but even its flat portion realized a high amount of detail. Yeah. The red and bold hue, the blue as well. I didn't see any. Blue. I didn't see any red. I didn't see blue or red. It's weird. And then it says, this is Texas. There are 40 different items that are actually detailed, but they work together as a single project. So that's kind of in reference to that, um, all those different materials. Yeah. Kind of no, it looks good. The other kind of restaurant style is the family style. Like a Buca de Beppo exactly. type of deal. Yeah, that's I us. hate those places. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't like sharing with people? I don't. I don't I don't like like there's you know there's that friends episode where like Joey doesn't share food. Remember and he had to create like the fry buffer plate? Did you ever I, see that one? I am not a friend. I hate sharing food. <laughs> like absolutely hate it. If you want that, order your own. You know what I mean? Like stay away from my plate. But <laughs> I don't I, I I there's something to me about which is funny because I like buffets, right? Okay. But it's interesting because it's like, I don't like multiple hands reaching into food and I know they're not grabbing it with their hands. I mean, I'm not, you know, crazy like that, but yeah. it's just, I, I don't like it. That's like I, so... I don't, I don't like, and a lot of it's Italian. Yeah. Right. A lot of it's Italian. I yeah. just, I just am not. Do you not like Italian food or just that? It's not my, it's not my go-to. Okay. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I don't mind it. There's, there's some stuff I do like, yeah. you know what I mean? But I just don't like, almost like the other thing is like, I don't like paella, right? Okay. I mean, I like paella, but I don't like it. It's on this massive plate and everybody's reaching in there and getting <laughs> scoops of it. Like, I just have this problem with it, which is funny because I'm not a hand sanitizer guy either. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, I can't stand that, but yeah. I just, I don't like this like mass amount of sharing food. I just, oh, I, I don't so do that. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the family style, uh, the buffet, which you mentioned. Hey man, all but, you can eat. That's all Vegas. Big fan. Vegas uh, buffets, like because you can get a little bit of everything. Yeah, I think it's amazing. Yeah, and then you look at that guy that's cutting the prime rib, and you're like, really, one piece? Yeah, <laughs> keep going, buddy. I'll be back anyway. You know what I mean? <laughs> so when I went, I was talking about I went to Vegas recently, and we did the buffet thing, and um, you're like forty bucks for a buffet, right? Yeah. Well, my buddy who kind of um, headed up this whole trip. He's a big gambler, so he has oh, so it's all, know, all the credits. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was partially comped, but yeah. um, we got to the prime rib guy, and he was so stingy. That's what I'm saying. And he got angry. Like we we were trying to you know ask for more and ask yeah. what's what, and he was irate. Like, yeah, he just did not. That's what I'm saying. They get all credits. Like, dude, I'm just gonna go come back again anyway. Like, you might as well just load it up. You know what I mean? I don't really want to see you that often. Like, give me a couple more pieces. You know. <laughs> 
I can only eat so much of that fried chicken that's there, you know? <laughs> so next is the cafe or bistro. And those are sort of, that's kind of really European influence. What's well, like an example of that out here? Um, there's not really a sort of a chain or, or okay. something that you would know, you know, right off. Is this like a mom and pop little thing? Yeah, they're, okay. they're, they're more um, mom and pop. I've seen quite a few in like uh, San Francisco. Okay. Yeah, like little mom and pop, small, but their their signature thing is kind of the outdoor seating. Yeah, like the little wire mesh table and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So okay. that's that's it's got a kinda... base with a flower in it. <laughs> it can. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. So that's the cafe or bistro, and then you have the fast food, which we talked about, and everybody knows that's McDonald's, Burger King, Taco Bell, and those are actually surprisingly the initial cost of franchising those fast food places. Are more expensive than opening an independent restaurant. Yeah, it's huge. But you basically, I mean, kind of the whole concept behind it is you basically have a a program that you can't screw up. Yeah, kind of. I mean, the joke I, yeah, like the joke I have with my dad or my dad always makes a joke. He only knows of one McDonald's that's ever had to shut down. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like one, like I mean, if you think about it, they pop up everywhere. Yeah, you know what I mean. And for the most part, they're busy. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's no, there's just, there's no escaping it. So it's almost like you're given a proven business plan and you got to be a serious idiot to mess it up. You know, I mean, that's the only, and so for the one guy out there that did, I'm sorry, but you know, that's what it seems like at least. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know of many McDonald's for sure, but I don't know many fast food places that kind of, I've seen walk. a couple Jack in the boxes uh, um, yeah. that, have, that have come and gone. I've seen, I think KFC is the one that's been that for a while was like dissipating. Do you remember? They had a big hit issue about, um, animal uh yeah. treatment the treatment of yeah. the, the the chickens and yeah. how they stored them that yeah. was that was a really bad one so. yeah but i mean they were kind of out you know for a while it felt like uh, but the rest of them i agree i mean for the most part they kind of truck along yeah you know because i think jack had that issue with donkey meat or something one time what? yeah yeah i think there's something there's something like that way back look i'm not advocating one way or the other i'm just saying like <laughs> i know there was some issue where there, there's something like horse meat or something, I swear oh to you. Oh, my God. I do um, not recall that one. Yeah, I don't know. Someone I, has to fact check that. All I know is I'm – yeah, somebody should <laughs> fact check that. So I was a few years back. The only thing I'm super excited about, like at, when we're talking fast food, and I really don't eat fast food. Yeah. Like I And I, I would love to every day, like Del Taco. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But um, uh, Carl's is pressing hard on the original Western Bacon Cheeseburger. Oh, my God. Dude, I don't care who's listening to this right now. You can't tell me that one of your happiest times is not sitting there smashing a Western bacon cheeseburger and what used to be, was it Chris Cut Fries? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, that was killer, man. That was like the best, right? The new promo with uh, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, it sounds good, man. Western bacon cheeseburger cheese. Bacon, Western bacon cheeseburger. I'm talking college. It sounds so good. That is the most hilarious. I don't know if it's his voice or whatever that's on there, but it makes it sound so good again. Like, I don't care. About and my son loves those things. Like, he will eat my nine-year-old. He'll freaking smash a Western bacon cheeseburger like nothing. And we don't do it all that often again. But it's just one of those things where it's like anybody that's our age, right, knows what I'm talking about right yeah. now. That was like the go-to. And you, like, look forward to that, yeah. especially when you're in high school. Yeah, it's like a play on um... – uh, the Dick, the song that he did in um oh my god I can't think of which Wolf, one was Wolf that? of Wall Street Wolf of Wall Street did you see that Matthew McConaughey wasn't in that yeah he was 
And he does that. When song, was he in that? And he goes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, good God. I don't okay. know where to go with this. Where? <laughs> when was Matthew McConaughey in Wolf of Wall Street? Are you sure? Yes. Yeah. Sorry. I was I, I, like, I'm completely like the only thing I can only think of Margot Robbie while we're talking about that. But I don't remember Matthew McConaughey yeah, being in that so, at all. So that's what they took it from, I think. Huh. I don't know. But like, but, he but I was completely freestyles that dude, so fired up though. Made millions of dollars off of it. I'm but sure. so fired up when they're like pushing Western bacon cheese. Like I want one so bad. Like every time I hear and see that, that, that clip. Yeah. Truthfully that that one did work because I found myself thinking, you know, I haven't had one in a while. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So let's finish up this list. Uh, Boo Truck is next, which we talked about. That's not a restaurant. Yeah. I I just want to get it on there because it's a type of... Could you call him a restaurateur? The you truck, could. The, I, the, I think the so. Truck, maybe you could slide it in that way. Yeah, I think so. Found a loophole. Yeah. Okay. I think that works. Uh, I, I'll be on. I, I don't eat off a of food truck. I think it's because being in the construction industry, like you have a bad relationship with truck-oriented food, hmm. right? If you're on job sites. Yeah. But I've had some good stuff off of some of those trucks, man. Yeah. Like the gourmet trucks. I'm going to call them gourmet, not job site trucks, right? Yeah. I was cracking up a bunch of my friends after our hospital episode. A bunch of my friends from high school were sharing stories about, you know, when we used to go to the, the hospital. And on the way back for lunch, there was always this food truck, which we call it the Roach Coach. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's from like the job sites. They're like usually a powder blue color. <laughs> no, it's all white. Diamond plate. <laughs> all white with the little blue pop up uh, screen that. on the yep, top. That works. Um, but we used to always go back to the Roach Coach on the way back from the hospital, and they had these seasoned fries that were amazing. You had to get those every time on your way back from from the hospital. There's just there's some things you have to do. Yeah. Like on a road trip, there's that one place you have to. You know, like if you like, we used to go to the river all the time. Used to be, a, we would always. I know it's not fair, but we would always stop at this one in and out. Yeah. At this one, like, is what you did on the way out and the way back. There was zero question in the car. Yeah. Everybody knew exactly where you're stopping. You weren't peeing until you got there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like the whole thing. Like it's always like that. And the funny thing is, it's totally reminded me. So I had a buddy, a really good friend of mine. His name was Deho. We won't go into the reasons why, <laughs> but the uh, he uh, he he the guy unfortunately had some health issues. He was like a he was six. Like a six, he looked like a six foot six Ryan Phillippe. Yeah. Okay. And he would like, he could eat like no other and he had health issues, but he would, and he was a, you know, relatively lean guy, but he would always order like at 10 AM, like for whatever reason, if he was around one, a double Western bacon cheeseburger, fries and a Coke. And you're looking at this guy like, no wonder why you have health issues, man. Like, and you would look back in his K5 Blazer, Chevy Blazer, would just have like these crumpled up brown Carl's Jr. bags. You know what I mean? You're like, dude. Oh, that's terrible. But I remember that because when you're talking hospital, I, he was in the hospital. I literally, because he was he had a procedure done and there's a Carl's out there. And I remember saying like, hey, I'm going to come see you. You know, do you want a magazine? He's like, nah, but I want a double Western. <laughs> you know what I mean? While in the hospital. While in the hospital. Oh my God. Let's see. Where are we? Uh, pop up. That, that was fast food. So now we get yeah. into what's the other one? So pop up restaurants. Pop up restaurants. Yeah. So restaurant tours are, are kind of doing these temporary spaces or temporary restaurants that usually run a month or two. Um, oh. And they have a limited menu. Um, and it's kind of taking back to uh, like the 19, I think it actually started from the 1930s all the way up until the 70s, kind of on and off. 
they call it supper. They call them supper clubs. Huh. And it was sort of, sort of a, a restaurant that took place in like a old warehouse or really old rundown something. And they would go into the night and serve alcohol at night. And this is like you know during sort of the prohibition time. Okay. So you kind of transition into you know the illegal drinking. Yeah. So it's sort of a, a inspiration or got inspiration from that. Hmm. So there's these, you know, short windows of time where they have a restaurant and they just have it for, you know, a couple months. Crazy. Yeah. I've not heard of that at all. Yeah. There, there's a lot of, and Seems they have, like a lot of work for a short amount of time. And they usually have a, a theme or okay. not usually, but a lot of them have themes. So like there was a Game of Thrones pop-up restaurant. Hmm. Um, I don't know if your kids have seen this cartoon, Bob's Burgers. No. There was a, a Bob's Burgers. It's a, I remember Bob's Big Boy. No. no okay. <laughs> there's still a few left. Yeah. So there's a Bob's Burger, which is a cartoon about a burger place. Okay. Um, pop-up restaurant, and they sort of tried to recreate what the menu huh. would be. So, so that sort of thing. And then the last one is the Fast Casual. And I feel like that's the dominant player in the market oh, right yeah, now. For sure. This is like the biggest thing since sliced bread right now <laughs> everywhere you look a uh, fast casual type restaurants popping up so we're talking about like panera five guys is considered more of a fast casual and what i mean by fast casual is you know you come up and order at the counter and then you can sit down somewhere it's like made to order uh yeah yeah and in the fast casual it's the different differentiating element is that the food is higher quality than like a mcdonald's or burger king or whatever that makes sense i mean i think because predominantly that's where we go yeah as a family so it's like chipotle right yeah chipotle's um there. that's one of the biggest ones i mean and, and we love that um blaze so, pizza say blaze pizza so i haven't been to a blaze but like we were big fans of pyology but okay, the other yeah, one that thing. we that we really like and we go to like the whole thing. So my daughter currently is going through this like gluten free thing hmm. uh, just because she's got had stomach things. And to be honest with you, like I'm the first person that's like, this is punk, right? Yeah. She's had zero stomach issues since we cut it out for two months, Wow! So which is pretty cool, right? So nonetheless, the, the nice part is it's kind of prevalent in the time right now. So there's this other place called um, Pizza Project. Yeah. That's right by us, which is another biology-ish type place or Blaze Pizza probably is, is yeah. similar and there's something for everybody. And I want to say one of the biggest components I think that draws people in with with these fast casual, yeah. fast casual kids meals. Hmm. Because here's here's the crazy thing, right? When we were when our kids started getting a little bit older and they could eat more than just like eating off your plate to where you're like yeah. pissed because they're eating half your food. Yeah. Which is great, but then you're pissed, right? <laughs> Like I remember the first place that did it was Chipotle started doing it where they did a kid's meal and it was like, they called it build your own. So they'd give the kids two like tortillas and then like three items. So they'd huh. get like a, a protein, you know, a meat or whatever. And then they could get like rice or they could get salsa or whatever the deal was. And they could make their own thing. It was like four bucks. Huh. Right. Because your kids don't eat enough. Right. I mean, yeah. they just, they don't eat enough to pay the full boat. Well, now my son that will eat eats a whole burrito or a bowl at nine years old, yeah. right? It's bigger than his head. You're in trouble. Oh, dude. Like it's, next... it's up and he like, he eats like he's eating all day. The next and, eight um, to 10 years. Yeah. Oh, dude. Like it's over. And, um, but like at, at pizza project, it's pretty cool to have like a kid's, you know, kid's meal or a kid's whatever. And it's, yeah. it's like an eight inch pizza, which yeah. is legit. As many toppings as they want, like an apple juice and like a cookie and like the whole, and it's like six bucks. Yeah. 
Huh. I mean, it, you know, anybody that's listening to this just for like, that's a draw for yeah. a family because a pizza for me is 10 or 12 bucks. They can't eat that whole thing. I certainly can. Yeah. But it's like, I can get something for the kids that's kid oriented. Like, I think that's a huge thing to do, yeah. you know? Uh, but I think fast casual is where it's at right now. I mean, people don't want fast food because it's supposedly crap, right? Yeah. Is the problem. Yeah. Uh, which I don't think it all is, but you know, it's not the best, right? Yeah. But you also don't want to take your kids to a place where you got to sit for half an hour because you just can't, or, and we don't have time for that right now. Yeah. Or we're not making time for that anymore. Right. Yeah. Cause a lot of the other countries, it's like an event and here it's like, it's a, it's just something you have to do. Yeah. You know? And sort of the elements to why this fast casual has taken off rising rent, labor and food costs on the restaurateurs side. Uh, this kind of benefits them in that way, cutting down on the space. They get they some need. volume. Too. Yeah. Yeah. Get that volume. They don't have obviously waiters that are, that are bringing food out and don't understand the food costs, how they get the savings, but. Um, well, I would say from this perspective, it's a lower number of SKUs. So when you go to like a fine dining restaurant, I mean, you got nice cuts of steak and chicken mm, and all these different yeah. kinds of things. Right. And it's like, you're trying to, at least how it was explained to me, I mean, you're, you're ordering in advance and a lot of it goes to waste. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because if somebody doesn't order that or if you've ever been in like, sorry, we're out of it, you know what I mean? Those yeah. types of things. Like you go to these places and it's the same stuff. Like, look at, look at Chipotle. And you, you got, you got store. chicken, yeah. you got steak, you got their barbacoa, yeah. carnitas, and then some funky thing they pass off as protein, which is called <laughs> so free, some, you know, Sofritas. super crappy or whatever it is. Right. <laughs> I mean, good for you guys. But if you look at that, the, the number of SKUs is relatively small and yeah. you can either add something to it or not. Yeah. But the crazy part is you get charged the same price. Yeah. Right. So if you and I both go in there and you're like, you like beans and all this kind of stuff that I don't like. And I only take, you know, rice and cheese and whatever, like they're making more off of me than yeah. they are off of you, but it's still the same amount of items that you can technically have. Yeah. So I think that's where that comes into play. And I guess they nail down that science of how much steak, how much chicken, how much whatever. That's a spoonful. And they're right? not, they're not uh, storing a whole lot in the back. So Right. And they kind of make it to order too. So it's like if you need it, they're pulling it out and throwing it on the grill and, and yeah. going, right? Yeah. It's kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah. On the customer side... Customers are increasingly focused on, you know, quicker delivery. And this kind of gets you that that faster turnaround because, you know, you just pick what you want, get the food. You can either sit down and eat it or get out and go. Rising house costs, which will push at some point, push kind of the urban dwellers mm. further out to more suburban areas, cutting down their time to, to sit at restaurants and whatnot because yeah. you're spending most of your time in the car. Commuting. You need something that's quick, dependable, and uh, basically high quality and reliable that you know it's going to take me, you know, 10 minutes every time that I go right. there or less. Right. And then the dual income family where most both people are out of the house the majority of the time. And don't have time to sit and make food. Yeah, you don't yeah. You don't have time to make food. You don't have time to sit at a, you know, longer form restaurant, so... Yep. Oh, and then one element I wanted to point out with the fast casual that you see a lot is the uh, open kitchen. It's like Chipotle. Yeah. it's That's kind of one of the big elements. And you see it in other restaurants. Makes you feel safer about it. Yeah, it's the transparency. Yeah. I had a buddy that used to work at a restaurant. I won't name it, so you can't nail down exactly <laughs> who it is. <laughs> so he's a server, and he goes and uh, helps his, his guests. And it's at the end of the dinner, and they, they want to box something up. 
he grabs their food and he walks to the back, completely forgot that they wanted to keep it or take it to go. No. And he chucks it in the trash can. And then he's like, oh, I forgot. He grabbed it out of the trash he can? He grabs it out of the trash can. No, puts dude. It back in. I was shocked. We all know that happens, yeah. though. You know what I mean? We all know that happens. Whether it's the spit in the food or whatever it is, oh, you know it happens at so times. So treat your servers great so they they will be honest when they do stuff like that. <laughs> but, yeah, that's, that's, like a, that's a little nugget for you. So one example, uh, kind of with the fast casual going forward, they consider it a, a fast casual 2.0 because it's grabbing a lot of these elements that we talked about and making it more experience driven. Um, Mendocino Farms, they started in LA in like a small 800 square foot uh, space. It's a sandwich place, but their concept is completely kind of turning the, the industry and the fast casual dining on its head. They've started out at the 800 square foot space. Now they're up to 3,000 square foot spaces. And this is just for sandwiches. And you order at the the counter and go sit down. It's crazy. But the the twist that they have, their their menu has um, mostly local and sustainably sourced ingredients. Um, But the the twist on the design of the space is that they have a kind of a kids, a dedicated kids area. So this is sort of... um, mcdonald's play place okay but modernized okay so you have like the um i guess forget the name of it the cornhole oh, set. and you said like jenga and yeah, stuff like, like that overgrown or oversized jenga and you know all those kind of outdoor games yeah then it's in a dedicated space uh chalkboards and everything set on like large patios so not only is it entertaining for the guest inside but it's engaging and inviting to people that are just walking by. There's there's yeah. one nearby us. Yeah. Um, just walking by, you want to go in kinda and just do a take check on. it out. Yeah. Yeah. When they open up a new space, they don't have like a set um, style to their store per se or um, design. How you get kind of a rollout of all the McDonald's. Yeah, they all look, look the, the same. same. Yeah. Uh, each place has its own designer that does its own style. That's kind of unique to that interesting that area. So it has its own identity and kind of feeds off of the neighborhood. Well, that makes and, sense. Well, it's one of those restaurants that the menu is really derived by what's local then, I would imagine, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it kind of fits the same idea. Yeah. And then they have some flexibility if um, there's more kids in the area. They dedicate more um, more space more to that space opens. and yeah. more attention to that cool. play, play area. Smart. And if it's more adults, they increase the um, adult Dining. beverages that they serve and stuff like that. The restaurateur was asked about this and he said a lot of people will say that a lot of people say that will slow down our scaling that we're not going to be able to open as quickly Uh, and he always says back when when was fastness always best we're not trying to see how many we can open we're trying to see how many we can open at our iconic and our neighborhood anchors which I thought was really interesting for a businessman to say it's not about cranking out the you know, getting it out as fast as you can and increasing the profits that way. So he's kind of looking for more iconic, high quality type space. So aside from that, you said your your kind of go to place has gone more towards the fast casual. Huh? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's just not. I I think that to your point, whether it's commuting or whether it's busy life or whatever. You're not wanting to feed your kids with some of the fast food, yeah. So, but you're willing to take a little bit more time to give them something a little bit better, yeah. You know, and 
I actually like making most of our food just because it's healthier, or my wife does, and not me, right? <laughs> Which is amazing. But at the same point, um, I also think there's something to be said about being able to just everybody sit and talk because if you don't have that much time to eat, you're also not sitting down as a family and talking much either, right? Sure, sure. So I do like that aspect where you can sit down and kind of, you know, you're waiting for five to ten minutes before the food gets there. Yeah. You're sitting there talking. We don't let phones and iPads and all that up there. And, yeah. Um, so you're able to do that. So I do like that. Yeah. And, I, and I do like that aspect. I don't like rushing, mm-hmm. even though we have to move quick, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, I don't think that's good for anybody. I mean, I rarely find ourselves in a fast food environment, yeah. like very rarely. Yeah. So yeah, I think, like I said, our go-tos are the Chipotle's and the yeah. pizza projects and corner bakery. We used to big fan of a corner bakery. Oh yeah. Um, which I think still kind of falls in that same aspect. Yeah. Yeah. So looking at four trends kind of going forward for the restaurant, uh, setting is, um, value war. So yeah. all of these restaurants are, they're looking at it as that they're not only competing with each other, but they're competing with the packaged foods, um, with people, uh, you know, choosing to cook because everybody's healthier now or are trying to get healthier now. Um, so you do, you know, as best as you can try and cook. So, so restaurants are kind of competing with that as well as, um, you see them trying to cut costs where they can. So removing the, some of the service elements, saw mcdonald's tried to do the kiosk thing yeah. um to reduce some of their employees overhead and, and with yep. the, the cost there um the next element is show uh so adding more experience to to your you know restaurant uh, so you get more open kitchens and then also increasing technology at your individual table mm-hmm. um so having ipads for the kids Something like to those play. burger bars do that yeah there's there's a couple that have literally have like an ipad at the table and you just order and there's like instead of having a waitress or waiter yeah i don't know what the unisex version of that <laughs> term is but server server there you yeah. go server instead of having a server for so many tables it's like there's a couple hops you know what i mean yeah. or hoppers per all the tables yeah. and all they're doing is just running food and just making sure you don't need anything else yeah so i think there's going to be a lot that's going to go that way yeah you know i think i think there really will be even aside from that it's um kind of about entertainment too for the the family or kids Mm -hmm. so they can play with whatever game on on the ipad Mm -hmm. while they're waiting for their food god forbid you talk to your family that's my point right (laughs) i know it's just it's so sad yeah that's that's reality right now uh third one is black activated charcoal in foods huh so they're gonna be uh you're gonna start to see more um foods that have been dyed and kind of tweaked to to come out black like bread and pasta really? so yeah so i went to a restaurant that had a squid ink pasta uh, <laughs> i think it curled up several different ways on that one and uh and like a squid ink uh pizza so the crust is black or the pasta is black um so yeah now they're gonna start doing this with activated charcoal apparently that sounds horrible so, so well, what's interesting about the charcoal thing, if it's really in there, I mean, that's actually a, an absorbent inhibitor huh. charcoal itself. I yeah. mean, that's like one of those things that used to give to people that would OD yeah. was charcoal because the body would flush because it couldn't absorb interesting. nutrients. So it's kind of, I, I mean, I'm sure there's gotta be something yeah. to it, but it's, yeah, but you would, I mean, if you were like, if, if you needed to expel things like yeah, that's charcoal, yeah. you know? Well, I thought this was interesting because on a design front, when you're 
um, you know, you have your concept of your store and the type of food you're going to serve. You want to have your space sort of complement the food that you're serving. Sure. I saw kind of mixed reviews on this, but some people think that the, the rustic look is going to go away. I completely disagree. I think it's going to stick around for a little bit longer. And if you're going with black food, I think that would kind of be paired well with sort of a rustic kind of look yeah. with uh, silver type plate settings or whatever. But yeah, but that could be... go very Soho and modern though too. Yeah, you could. And then the last one is Instagram. So you want to frame your food because it is a it's free publicity. People are Instagramming food as long as the food is good. People are Instagramming food nonstop these days. It's so annoying. Yeah. <laughs> I saw this hilarious video where uh, uh, people were sitting there about to take a picture of their food. And uh, right right when it's about to snap, the fr- their friend across the room just slams his knife right in the middle of the food. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm like sitting there going, if something looks really, really good, I'm not taking a picture of it. Yeah. I'm getting in there, yeah. you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what's up, but you're right. I mean, it's all over the place. So uh, as you design your space, um, you have to consider that kind of basically creating a canvas for your food to be presented on. Yeah. So maybe oversizing your tables a little bit so that you can, you know, get nice framing on the plate. That's funny. Uh, but I think I think it's uh, something that's worth considering when you're when you're laying out your space. So I think that's it for me. Do you have anything else? Uh, on the restaurant topic no not really i mean i think the one thing that trumps all no matter what you know version of restaurant it is is just good food yeah right you have to have value yeah. and that value can be found in multiple ways whether it's just the food itself or it's the food and the ambiance or you know whatever that is but you know i think we all even if it was a really cool experience or whatever we leave with a good impression if the food was good yeah you know if you really enjoyed it so yeah uh yeah i think that's definitely number one because it is food but i think the design and and kind of the environment does play a part oh absolutely and you know designing a space that not only is it a appealing environment but you know every time you go there sit in a different place it's a different experience experience and you said it right there i mean even when we were looking at uh, our current corporate office where we're at and people are asking about design it's like when you think about it the whole idea was i always use the the example of a restaurant yeah i'm like look you know think of your favorite restaurant there's two things that come to mind one was the food good because yeah. no matter what you wouldn't go back if food wasn't good so yeah. that's what i'm saying the food's got to be good yeah and two is the experience yeah the ambiance the music you know the smells everything yeah you know what i mean how, how it flows and how quickly you get seated the service everything there so it's all in the experience yeah and food has to be there clearly because you're trying to go to eat yeah but it's all about the experience. Yep. Uh, so with that, we'll uh, kind of wrap this up. We don't have any listener mail today, so we will skip that. But we want to kind of remind you guys, if you want to get in touch with us, feel free to send us an email or uh, contact us on social media. Uh, email is hello at spacespodcast.com. Facebook is facebook.com slash spacespodcast. On Twitter at spacespodcast. On Instagram, Instagram.com slash Spaces Podcast. LinkedIn is LinkedIn.com slash company slash Spaces dash podcast. Thank you again for spending some time with us. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and like it and forward the link uh, forward the link of the show to a friend because your support is the only way that this grows. And if you just stumbled upon the show, please subscribe so you don't miss another episode. And don't forget to check out spacespodcast.com under the listen tab. You'll see photos of the projects that we talked about, videos, uh, links to articles, everything you need to know about what we talked about today. And with all that said, if you're catching up, hit next. Or if you're listening as we put these out, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Thanks. See you. Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLamey, FAIA former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise. From 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm.